Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful fall Sabbath. Thank you for the rain that is supposed to come tomorrow. And as John prayed, we just want to pray this morning for your Holy Spirit to rain down. God, we pray that your Spirit would be here speaking to each of our hearts. Lord, please take the words that I will share, translate them so that they speak just exactly what each person needs straight to their own heart. Thank you that you're so able to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stories told of an honest man who was being tailgated by a stressed out woman one morning on her way to work. And as they made their way to the intersection, the light turned yellow. Well, he probably could have made it through before it turned red. However, he stopped. Well, the stressed out woman behind him only became more anxious and more furious, realizing the time and that she was late for work, and she began to honk her horn and scream aloud. Well, the light seemed to go on forever, and she continued to be angry until she heard a stern tap on her window. She looked up to see the face of a very serious police officer, ordering her to come out of the car with her hands She was very taken by surprise. Now not only was she just running late for work, she was stopped by the red light, but now the police. She got out of her car. He ushered her into his car. She was taken to the city jail, fingerprinted, put in the holding cell for a while. Not too long later, the police officer came. He opened the door. He said, you can come out now. I'm very sorry for the mistake. She still didn't know what was going on. She's looking at him like, what happened? He said, you have to understand. He said, I pulled up behind you at the stoplight. I saw you honking your horn repeatedly. I saw your fingers that were flying out the window. I heard the words that were coming out of your mouth. And I was puzzled because I saw the what would Jesus do window sticker. I saw the choose life license plate holder. I saw the follow me to Sunday school bumper sticker. I saw the chrome plated Christian fish emblem on the back of your trunk. And I thought you had stolen the car. (laughs) Funny story, maybe. But how do we respond when things don't go our way? How do we respond when we get into those situations that are frustrating, that are aggravating? How do we respond when we're treated unfairly? How do we respond in the midst of tragedy? You know, I've been thinking a lot about it, that it's easy to give thanks, it's easy to be thankful, it's easy to recount our blessings when it's Thanksgiving week, right? It's easy. People are asking you, what are you thankful for? Maybe you sit around the table and you share the things that God has been doing in your life. It's easy. But what about the other 51 weeks out of the year? What about the other 364 days that aren't Thanksgiving? I want to invite you this morning to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I'm going to be using the New American Standard Version, if you have that back there to put on the screen. Acts chapter 16, we find Paul. He's on his second missionary journey, and he's traveling through, visiting the different churches, visiting the group of believers. And the story is told about starting in the middle of the chapter, where Paul and a friend, are on their way to the place of prayer. So they're just simply going there to pray. We don't know what day of the week it was. We don't know who all was with them. We just know that they were on their way to pray, and they encounter a girl with an evil spirit. 
And I love how real the Bible is. When it describes this girl, it says that she was following him around and she annoyed Paul so much that he couldn't take it anymore. Have you ever felt like that? He couldn't take it anymore. He was so annoyed. She was going around calling out names, saying things, and he just stops all of a sudden and commands the evil spirit to leave. And the Bible says the evil spirit left immediately. And if the story stopped there, we would probably think, that's great. That is amazing. The power of God, evil spirit leaves. But that's actually the very thing that stirs up the situation in this chapter. You see, this girl was a slave girl. Her masters actually made money off of her because she was able to fortune tell. And so when the evil spirit is cast out, the, the slave master realizes that he's in big trouble. He realizes that they no longer have any way to make a profit. And we're going to pick up this story in verse 19. This is Acts chapter 16 and verse 19. When her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them out to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. Jump down to verse 22. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten by rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely, and he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Talk about being treated unfairly. Talk about being treated when you're trying to do something right, when you're trying to do something good. They weren't trying to hurt anyone. They're simply going to the place to pray, and before they know it, they're brought before the people. Their clothes are torn off of them, they're beaten by rods, and they're dragged into a prison. And I don't know about you, but that just doesn't sound like a very fun day. That doesn't sound like Thanksgiving. That doesn't sound like a day where you're just so grateful for the things that have happened in your life. Have you ever had a day like that when things are just going all bad? The interesting thing is for Paul, this isn't the first time he's encountered these type of trials. Earlier in Acts 15, he was part of a big debate within the church. Acts 14, the Bible says that they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Chapter before, Acts 13, the whole city assembles, they hear the word of God, everything is going right, until the Jews are filled with jealousy and start to blaspheme him and contradict his words. Acts chapter 9, he has to be lowered into a basket to escape a plot by the Jews to kill him. This is kind of the life story for Paul. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 16. Trial, persecution, trouble, over and over again. And if you just read those chapters, you would reasonably expect Paul to maybe finally give up. You could understand if Paul said, okay, I can't take any more. You could understand if Paul just said, no more for me. But we're going to pick up the story a few, chap- a few verses down, verse 25. Let's look at the response of Paul. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
Okay, I don't think this strikes us like it should because we're familiar with this story. We've seen the coloring pages that the kids have right now that they're coloring about Paul and Silas. We've heard the story in Sabbath school. We've heard the story before. So we just skip over it. Oh yeah, Paul and Silas, they were thrown in jail. They were singing and praying like it's no big deal. But put yourself in that situation. Friends, I don't even respond like that when I'm running late for an appointment, when I spill tomatoes all over my shirt, white shirt, like I did last week. I don't respond with singing and praise, even in the little things sometimes. Here they are, accused of something they didn't do, unjustly thrown in prison. They have their feet in stocks. It's probably cold. It's probably musty. They're hurting, they're in agony, they're in pain. And how does it say the Bible? What does the Bible say? It says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I don't know. That's amazing to me. It's easy to say, oh, of course they did it because we know the story. But man, when I think about my own life, how do I respond when things so minuscule happen to me? I don't always have that kind of response. I don't always say, oh, it's all right. God will take care of it and just start praising him. But I wish that I did. Because look at the response. Look what happens in verse 27. It says, and the prisoners at the end of verse 25 were listening to them. And, And I thought about this as I was studying this week. You know, I don't think Paul and Silas would have had everyone listening to them if they were just standing on the street corner and just praising God and praying and everything was going okay. I don't think the prisoners would have been listening like they were. I don't think if Paul and Silas were standing in church and they were preaching a sermon about the goodness of God, I don't think the people would have been listening like they were at that moment. But because of what they were going through, because of the circumstances around them, because they felt like they couldn't take any more, and yet they were praising God. That's why the prisoners were listening. The story goes on in verse 27. It says, Suddenly there came a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison house were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. He called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I would like to suggest this morning that our choice to rejoice in the Lord, our choice to hold on to God, to put our trust in him even when things don't make sense, when it feels like our prayers aren't being answered, when it feels like everything around us is going wrong, I believe that in those times we have such an opportunity to be a witness for God. We have such an opportunity to share about the goodness of God. And in those times, it will majorly affect those around us. A lot of times we focus on Thanksgiving and what it'll do for us. When we thank God, when we praise him, when we recount his goodness, it's good for us. It builds our faith up. It encourages us in our walk in the Lord, and it does. But in this story, it doesn't just say, so Paul and Silas were singing and into the story. But look at what happens. 
They come out. They fall before Paul and Silas asking the question, what must I do to be saved? I've realized more and more that the way that we respond to difficulties, the way that we speak about God, the way that we portray God, it totally affects those around us. The year after I graduated high school, my mom was actually diagnosed with cancer. And I remember it being a scary time. I remember being a sad time. I remember watching her in so much pain and losing her hair and having to miss out on the holidays. And even though it was a sad time, even though it was a scary time, I also remember well that throughout that time, she never blamed God. I remember her never, never once saying, why me or why God or why would this happen to me? And I remember even the morning of her her surgery, the pastor and elders came over to our church to pray for her and to anoint her. And one of them was even praying like, God, why her? And I remember in that moment when she could have just been wallowing in self-pity, yes, why me? She was saying, why not me? I remember during that time, she was the one when everyone else around her were saying, why you? She was pointing us to the goodness of God. And do you know what that did for me? I was only 18 years old, but throughout that entire experience, I never lost my faith in God either. I never was questioning why God. It gave me this hope. It gave me a courage that God would get us through. And I began to realize more and more that it's actually in our trials, in the hard times, in those circumstances when we don't understand what's happening, that we have the greatest opportunity to witness. Paul and Silas sing and pray in a dark, musty cell, and the prisoners stay put. Think about that for a second. The prisoners could have escaped. The earthquake happens. Their chains are broken too, not just Paul and Silas. They could have escaped, but they stayed. Does the question ring in your mind, what caused them to stay? What caused them to stay? All I can think is that they must have seen something in Paul and Silas that they wanted for themselves. They saw something in them. Here they are when they should be crying out, when they should be giving up, when they should be praying to die. They're singing and praising God. I want that for my life. I want to respond to difficulty. I want to respond to trials in that way. I'm staying here. It doesn't just affect those prisoners, though, as we read. It affects the jailer, too. He goes from desiring to kill himself to asking the question, what must I do to be saved? And what if our coworkers were asking that question? What if our kids were seeing the way that we live our life and were asking, Mom, what can I do to be saved? What if the people around us, our family members at Thanksgiving, as they hear about the trials and things that are going on in our life, but see the way we respond, what if they were saying, I want that too? What can I do to know your God? What can I do? to be saved. I know some of you have heard the testimony that my mother-in-law shares entitled, God Never Waste Your Pain, where she shares about the story of losing her husband just five years after they were married to an accident, drowning accident. And she tells the story about how it was just a July 3 day. It was just a normal day. He'd gone out for a run. He goes to the pool to swim. But before she knows it, he's drowned in the bottom of the pool. And as she shares this story, you can tell that there's pain and hurt and grief and all the emotions of loss that are accompanying. 
But she shares the amazing testimony of how from almost immediately, God led her on a journey to start thanking and praising God. Even though she felt empty, even though she didn't know what was going to happen with her life, here she had this little two-year-old boy, and what were they going to do next? God leads her on this journey to start praising him and thanking him. And she said she would just praise him and thank him for whatever she could. She said she would just walk up and down the apartment when all she could think about was her husband, and she would just call out loud, God, I just want to praise you for my husband. I just want to praise you for the seven years we had together, for the five years we were married, for the little boy we have together. God, I just want to praise you for all the trips we took together. I want to praise you for all the people that we saw one to Jesus. And she said she would just spend the days doing this. God, I just want to praise you. I want to thank you. And it was so healing to her soul. It was so healing. Yes, there were still loss. This, there were tears. She talks about going in the shower. She says the best place to cry because no one can hear you. The water's running down and you can just cry. But it was so healing to her soul. And she talks about the memorial service. And she said, people were in shock. Here she was. She's just lost her husband. But they made that service a time of thanking and praising God. She says they made it a time of focusing on the blessed hope that we have in Jesus. They made it a time of celebrating Mike's life and that he knew Jesus. They made it a time focused on the second coming. And she said at the end of that service, she wouldn't even... She didn't even expect it, but people were coming up to her saying, what do you believe? I want to know your God. How is it that you've just lost your husband, but yet you're able to thank and praise God? How is it possible with all you've gone through that you're able to be at the spot you're at? What can I do to be saved? It's kind of a modern-day Paul and Silas story. But Paul continues this. It's not just in Acts chapter 16. Because again in Philippians chapter 1, 10 years later, Paul's in prison now in Rome this time. He says something almost the same. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Again, he's older now. He's been beaten more times. He's in prison again, probably cold, probably very uncomfortable, probably in pain and agony. And he says in Philippians 1, verse 12, Now I want you to know, brethren that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment now have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul could have been bitter. He could have given up. He could have said, God, I am done. He could have just been discouraged. Maybe he was still going on, but this is too much. But he goes on to rejoice in the Lord. He says, look, look at my circumstances. Yes, they're not preferable. But God has used this to now affect this whole Praetorian Guard. Now all the other believers have a stronger faith. They're actually able to preach the word of God with more courage because of me. You and I have the exact same opportunity. We have the exact same opportunity. All of us face trials. All of us, at some point, tragedy hits. All of us have circumstances that are not preferable. But how will we choose to respond? And not only how will we choose to respond, but how will that affect the people 
around us? What are our families seeing in us? What are our coworkers seeing? A life of gloom and doom, Christianity that's toilsome and difficult? Do they see us always murmuring and complaining, overwhelmed, discouraged? And if so, are they going to want our God? If that's all our kids see, is that the kind of God that they'll want? If we show up to work every day burdened and joyless and discouraged, will our coworkers be asking the question of the jailer, what can I do to be saved? I want your God. You look so down every day. In every situation, we have the opportunity to be the representative of God's goodness. I maybe have not been through some of the situations I mentioned today, but I think about experiences even right now in my own life. When people come up to me, when they say, how are you doing? I have two choices to make. I can tell them about things that are falling apart. I can tell them about prayers that seem to be unanswered. I can tell them about things I don't understand, or I can focus on the goodness of God. I can focus on that through this experience, right now, God has continued to encourage me. I can focus on the fact that sometimes when I feel so down, I just open my Bible and there's a verse right there encouraging me. I can focus on the fact that God surrounded me with family and prayer partners and friends to hold me up. And I just wonder, what effect can that have? I want to close this morning by sharing the story of Melissa DePaiva. Melissa DePaiva and her family were called to be missionaries in Palau in the early 2000s. Melissa and her brother, mom and dad, were at Andrews University when they received this call, and they took the call. The dad was going to be the pastor at the church. Her mom was going to be a teacher. Melissa and her brother were just eight and nine years old, and they made their way to the Micronesian islands of Palau. The plan was to be there for 60 years. They had all kinds of dreams and hopes. But just a year and a half into their stay, their tragedy struck. One night, a man that had been on methamphetamine and alcohol broke into their home, expecting to steal their VCR and their VCR and their TV. However, before the night was over, he had killed Melissa's father, her mother, and her brother. Nine years later, Melissa age 19, wrote this, and I just want to share it with you. She says, The moment we stepped foot on the island, we fell in love with it. The people were so kind, so loving, so welcoming. My parents, my brother and I, received the traditional flower lace, smelling fresh and sweet. Our beautiful new house had a tropical view of the tropical forest and the ocean. My dad was going to be the district pastor, and my mom would be a teacher in our school. We had so many dreams in mind for the next six years in Palau. One and a half years later, on the night of December 21, 2003, we had spent quality time together as a family, talking, playing games, singing Christmas hymns until we fell asleep. The next thing I remember is being awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning by strange sounds. I soon saw a stranger in the house and my brother and my parents lying on the floor. It's almost impossible to describe the thoughts and the feelings I felt that night, but one thing I did feel, being held by strong arms. Everything had passed by so quickly. After 24 hours, the stranger left me by an unfamiliar road, thinking I was dead. 
Miraculously, after some hours, I was able to get up and flag down a car, and in that car were the sweetest people. I still have no idea who they were. I believe them to be angels in disguise. No one would be passing by this deserted row that early in the morning. I was taken to the hospital. I was cared for by doctors and nurses, guarded by FBI agents. I was visited by church members, friends, and even the American ambassador. But the biggest help for me in that most confusing moment of my life was when my grandmother walked into the room. It was like a wind of refreshment during the hardest time in my life. It was a very different Christmas, but I still felt the joy of the season through the love of those around me. Sometimes I look back at my life and I think, did I really go through that? There have been many times when I feel like nothing even ever happened. It seems as almost that God was covering my eyes while carrying me in his arms so that I didn't have to remember all that I really went through. I live now to say that God saved me in a miraculous way that I can't even explain. I have no human explanation as to why I was not killed that day, only the fact that God has a plan for my life and his purpose for me is not yet complete. The process of healing comes through many tears and prayers, and of course it's not the same for everyone, and there's no way of setting a time to it. It is said that time cures hurt, and it's true. But when we put our situations in the hands of God, time goes by much faster. It's important that we don't just stay down in the dumps, but that we get back up on our feet. Getting involved in school and in music and in church really helped keep my mind off the negative things. I believe that healing and forgiveness go hand in hand. Once you've forgiven a person, healing soon follows. I learned that forgiving doesn't always mean that you have to forget as well. We forgive and still remember, but we don't have to hold anything against this person anymore. It's as if if, literally you're getting a load off your shoulders. As sinners, we're not inclined to forgive, especially in a situation like this, but God is a heart specialist. He can change any uncomfortable feelings if you let him work on it. I had many great talks with my grandmother. She reminded me about the great controversy between good and evil and that Satan had used this individual to perform these actions. She reminded me of Christ's prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If God could forgive me when dying on the cross, why shouldn't I forgive him? I've come to learn that forgiveness is not human, it's a divine attribute, and that is why it can come from above. Looking back, I see that my parents and brother accomplished much more in death than in life. And many blessings came out of what seemed to be the end of everything. I've learned to be a much stronger person, and my relationship with the Lord has flourished. Numerous opportunities have come to me that would have never come if things did not happen this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others in exactly the way he has comforted us. Before leaving Palau, I told the people that I would be back someday as a missionary. I don't know what God plans for me, but I do know that he says that his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. We do not need to know the answers to the why the when and the how questions, but we just need to trust his guidance. I don't share my story for information or exposure, but I share my story to acknowledge what God has done for me. 
so that others can also see the mighty and glorious hand of God from a different viewpoint. I can guarantee you that what he's done for me, he can do for you. We can be sure that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Wow. Ten-year-old. She didn't even share all the details in there. It was horrible. She was abused for 20 hours, thrown in the back of a trunk of a car, blindfolded, placed on the side of the road. And yet, this is her response. That was written four years ago. Now she's 23 years old. She just graduated from college, was married this summer, and she goes around sharing this amazing story. When she could have given up, when she could have blamed so many people, when she could have allowed her life to be shaped by the horrible things that she went through. She not only shares her testimony, but she sings the song by Laura Story entitled Blessings. I don't know if you know that song, but it says, what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? She did a little video clip. I don't, or do we have it up? I just want to share a few minutes from it. It's amazing to me some of the things that she says in this clip. It was taped by Southwestern for the students there as a testimony. But it's so amazing some of the things she says. You'll catch it as she says it. She says, I don't regret anything. If I could go back and change anything in the story of my life, I don't think I would because of all the blessings that have come out of it. The way God really showed me his love, even through this tragic happening, I never felt like I was alone. I've never been depressed in my life. And sometimes it's even unfair how much he blesses me. Sometimes it feels like I'm the only one in the world that he has to take care of. I just find that story so inspiring. I look back through my life and have experienced nothing like that, but do I respond even in the minuscule situations? But actually knowing more of Melissa's story, the grandma that you just saw there, I believe that the way Melissa has responded, the way that she's chosen to live her life, the way that she has chosen to go around and share her testimony is, in a huge, is a huge result of that woman you saw on the screen. Ruth DePeva, the closest relative of the murdered family, spent one week in Palau when she went there to rescue her little granddaughter. I'm going to read it for you just straight from the article. Published in the newspaper, it says Ruth DePeva, the closest relative of the murdered family, visited during her week in Palau the man who had murdered her son, daughter-in-law, and only grandson. During that time, she prayed with him and let him know that she had already forgiven him, and he cried. A memorial service was held at four o'clock in the afternoon for Pastor, his wife, and their son. The service was long but incredibly life-changing. Ruth DePeva, the closest relative of the murdered family, took the microphone without warning or announcement and proceeded to demonstrate a level of unsurpassed forgiveness. Learning that Mrs. Hiroshi, the mother of the man who had killed her family, was in the audience, she invited her to join her on stage. Mrs. Hiroshi was unable to walk and was aided to the stage by her brother and several neighbors. 
The women hugged so warmly that the casual observer would have believed that they were two long-lost friends. Together, they stepped to the microphone, and Mrs. DePeva announced, We are both mothers grieving for lost sons. You could hear a pin drop in the absolute silence. Mrs. DePeva continued, She implored the plowing community to remove any shroud of blame that might cover this family. She said that the DePevas did not blame Justin's family for the tragedy, and no one else should either. We raise our children, we educate them, we teach them right and wrong. That is all that a mother can do. Ten-year-old Melissa had been strong throughout the service, and when asked where she would like to live, she said, I would like to stay here in Palau. When told that her extended family was waiting for her in Texas and it wouldn't be possible, she said, but I'll be back someday. I'll come back as a missionary. The display of kindness and forgiveness was amazing. It's amazing to me to not only see Ruth DePeva's actions play out now in the life of her granddaughter, but now hundreds of thousands of people as Melissa shares her testimony. But even goes further. Esther Knott, many of you know her. She's a pastor in Michigan, a friend of ours. Some of our women here met her at the women's retreat last year. She was one of the speakers. She recently visited Palau. She works with the North American Division, travels around, was recently in Palau. She said she visited the pastor that actually lives in the same home that Melissa's family was killed in. He pastors that same community. He pastors the same church. And over the last many months, even maybe a year, He's felt impressed to visit this man, to pray with him, to give him Bible studies. And Esther said, I can't even tell you the joy of him being baptized just four weeks ago. What a joy that'll be in heaven for Ruth, for Melissa, and for the family that has been lost. Friends, I don't know how to end this morning except just to say, that we serve a good God. We serve a God that we can trust. Even when we don't understand, when our prayers are not being answered, when we're in the midst of tragedy, when we're in the midst of trial, we can trust him. And as we near Thanksgiving this week, I encourage you, whether you feel like praising him and giving thanks, take some time personally. Take some time with others to share about the goodness of God. It will bring healing to your soul. It will encourage your heart. It will bring you comfort. It will bring you peace. It will strengthen your relationship with God. And who knows the difference that that will make? Who knows who your story, your response might impact? Heaven will tell. I'm sure they're going to be surprised to see the man who came in to their home that night in heaven. And who knows for us? We may never, ever know the people who are inspired by our story, by your story. Let's pray. Dear Father, we're inspired by people like the DePeva family. I'm inspired by people like my mother-in-law. We're inspired by people like Paul and Silas. We're inspired by people in our own family, my mom, the people around us. Father, we pray that today, no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what we're going through, that you 
would do a special work in our heart, that you would bring us to the point where we can truly live a life of thanksgiving, that you will bring us to the point where we can give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you. Father, I pray that as we leave this place this morning, that you would keep this on the forefront of our mind. And no matter what we encounter today, no matter what we encounter this week and into the future, that our response might be to rejoice in the Lord always, that we will hold on to you, that we will not let go, that we will trust even when it doesn't make sense. Thank you, Father, for inspiring our hearts this morning. Now let us live lives of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.